You're listening to The Pastor Pod, sharing what we're learning to help you lead well in our culture today. This podcast is hosted by pastors Josh Robinson and Jay Mudd. Their goal is to be real, transparent, and let you in on what pastors really think about stuff. Welcome back to The Pastor Pod. We are on episode 50 of the podcast. This is amazing. I mean, this is... I, you know, this is probably one of the greatest moments of my life um, as a podcaster. I, Jay, we're we're here 50 in, and we have a great friend here with us today to celebrate this momentous occasion. Right. I just want to give thanks to my mom, to my uh, my director. Um, and Trevor Lawrence from the Jaguars. Yeah, yeah those who have played uh, such a great uh, impact role in, in making this happen. I just thank you all for that. For our, our voiceover, Cassidy Robinson, thank you. Uh, yes. For those who made the graphics, thank you. Um, we would be here to accept this award. Wait a minute, there's no award. Yes, episode 50. <laughs> it's really exciting. I, you know, I had my doubts, Josh. I had my doubts, but um, you being the strong leader that you are led us to this place. So um, such is such a good time. So Bob uh, Bumgarner, thank you again for being with us. This is great because uh, sure. you know us probably. I think you know us better than most people and kind of solve this. I still love us. you. <laughs> Today we're talking about grace and yes. mercy. <laughs> Uh, you kind of saw this in our infancy stage uh, with one of our first guests. Um, yeah, I was thinking I was up there in the beginning. Yeah. I can't remember. Was he the first guest? I think he was. I, I think you I were the think, first guest because yeah. you were the first one. We're like, we need a guinea pig, somebody who can give us forgiveness. <laughs> he's the only one that responded <laughs> to my emails. Yeah, he's the only one that said, yeah, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. And Thank you. episode 50, this is a big deal. And Josh, I got to say, I'm pretty disappointed no one took us up on our pumpkin offer last last week. Well, I don't know um, if they th- thought we were, were they, did you th- do you think the listeners thought we were serious? Cause you know, we laughed a lot about pumpkin spice and pumpkin yeah. pie and you're going to send them something pumpkin-y, right. but nobody so, responded. No one emailed, no one tweeted at us, Facebook messaged us. Whatever. So because it's episode 50, let's make it, let's make that offer for real. We're serious. You could ask for a pumpkin pie and I'll figure out how to get you a pumpkin pie. So um we'll say this we'll 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 do a drawing all right and so today is you're going to listen to this on friday so you have all day friday to uh, tweet at us you know email us whatever it is put all those names in a hat and i'll draw a name and i will send a pumpkin item of your choice it can be everything from a pumpkin a real pumpkin to a pumpkin pie or pumpkin donuts or whatever you want to choose they have pumpkin everything um so this is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to happen. I can't wait for someone to take me up on it. And I can't uh, wait. okay, the only rule I have is it can't be related to you or I, Josh. So tell your wife. If I listen on Friday. <laughs> Cassie's like, we're going to Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> she can't participate. Um, so anyhow, all right. That being said, uh, listen, let's get right into content. Cause I know people are excited about more excited about Bob and what he's going to, some knowledge he's going to drop on us today than they are about the pumpkin. Uh, but we're serious about that. So hit us up sometime today, Friday. Um, I don't and know if you want day. candy corn, listen for all the candy corn people out there, I will send you some candy corn too. Yeah. Okay. And if you don't like candy corn, that's, that that's, that's between you and the Lord. Josh, you just sounded like Delilah. That's <laughs> This is this is uh um, listen. This, I was in Cracker Barrel the other day. By the way, Cracker Barrel's changed. Oh my god, they're like offering me all kinds of interesting things on the menu. Like, I just want to go back to the good old days where they just give you greasy food. But anyway, 
yeah. there was candy corn everywhere and i just felt it felt uh all warm and fuzzy for me personally so that's all i have to say about that okay well that's a good segue to our topic today emotional leadership and right now i need to deal with my emotions because you're talking about candy corn um no bob for real i thank you for uh really leaning in on this topic specifically because emotional leadership is important but i want to know from you why do you believe this is such an important topic that leaders should be discussing and having conversations about well the research is in if you ask people who who they want to follow they describe emotionally mature leaders so the reason we need emotional intelligence as leaders is because emotionally mature leaders are the kind of people that um, people want to follow. I mean, Daniel Goleman uh, years ago talked about emotional intelligence. It's really emotionally mature. It, that's a that's the Harvard way of talking about emotional maturity. And um, at the end of the day, uh, the reality is you may get your job because of your resume or your IQ or your connections. But your promotability, your effectiveness has almost nothing to do with your IQ. It's how well you play with others. And so emotional maturity is really a measurement of how well you, how you, how well you play with each other. Mm, so that back in the day when you played in the sandbox, it really did matter how well you played with other people. Okay, it's funny that you would say the word sandbox because in 2011, Richard Davis from the Harvard Business college wrote an article for the harvard business review called we need more mature leadership or more mature leaders and he, he, that article is about children in a sandbox and so sandbox leadership really is a great metaphor um, about what people don't want they don't want the kind of, they want they want adults who lead not a sandbox that people are trying to establish dominance in um, in the workplace so I'm emotionally intelligent just because I, I came up with the sandbox. I, I That was unscripted. I didn't even know you were talking about a skeleton. Uh, uh, I know what's funny about that. We have no show notes, so you couldn't have read ahead. So, oh, my gosh. This is a special moment, Jay. I just want to <laughs> pause here. It's because it's episode 50. <clears throat> well, and let me, let, me build, <laughs> let me build on this. One of the reasons that emotional maturity is so important in leaders is because um, emotional immature leaders make every problem bigger. Mm, so in other words, you have a problem mm. and, and, and you need to address it. But if somebody is emotionally immature and they won't address it or they address it like a, with a hand grenade, then this one problem that you could have solved now is all over the place. So emotionally mature leaders actually make problems smaller because they create a culture where people can actually talk to each other to solve the problem. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. So. So, as, so let's just take it with, let's take a look, a look at pastors, right? I, I feel like I struggle in this area. You know me well, Jay, you know me well. There's times I've done well at this. There's times I've failed miserably on being emotionally healthy. So why is it, why do you think pastors struggle? Why, why do leaders struggle with emotional health? Well, a um, couple of things. Um, I don't think we've defined what emotional maturity looks like. And so we don't know what the goal is. We don't know when we're doing well. I would venture a definition that I have um, gleaned from a, a book called Rare Leadership. It's one of the books that I have been diving deep in this subject on. But emotional maturity is enduring hardship well. Can you 
under stress, continue to act like your true self. And by true self, I don't mean in a secular sense. I mean your best self, the, the, the redeemed Jesus self, or do you get triggered? One of the reasons that pastors, and by the way, um, I understand why you're saying that because this is a pastor pod, but this is really um, CEOs. I mean, you read the, we're in a crisis in America with leadership. And I mean, look, look on SBC Twitter, look on, you know, I mean, the, the political um, scenario. I believe the reason we don't have better candidates is because nobody wants to step into the, um, the weirdness of, the, uh, of what leadership requires right now. But one of the things that an emotional leader does is even when it's stressful, they're aware, they're self-aware of, of what triggers them. And Josh, mm -hmm. what triggers you may not trigger me. Um, I mean, you and I have gone through strength finders and we both have belief as a, you know, as one of our top things. And so people who have that strength, we are triggered by some things that other people wouldn't be um, triggered by. And so part of emotional intelligence is recognizing when I've been triggered and learning how to create um, space for me to get my emotions back under control so that I can still think with my highest level thinking brain, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. That's good. Um, did I lose you, Bob? Are you still there? I'm here. Can, can okay, you good, good. I'm just making yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So again, you defined, if I understand, you define emotional maturity as enduring hardship well. Right. And you've probably seen that happen in you know many scenarios where that's happened well, but mm -hmm. you've also seen where it happened, it didn't happen well. Right. Um, right. And so let's sure. talk a little bit about what happens. Like, let's lean into that a little bit more of when it doesn't happen well, like when people don't handle themselves well, what does that look like? Um, because again, I think some listeners might be listening and go, okay, I get it. You got to handle yourself well under hardship, but we're hypothetically, what does that look like? Or, you know, don't use sure. names. Don't throw anybody on the carpet. Yeah. But what does that look like when it doesn't go well? Um, and oh, it's a sign it, that there's not a mature, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a maturity there. So you're on somebody's staff um, or you're the senior pastor and um, a staff member um, says, hey, I want us to do a different program um, or, or, hey, can we try something different? That seems rather uh, innocuous, right? I mean, not, but if, but if you are um, somebody who absolutely believes you would die on the hill for the program that this person just talked about, what's happened is you, even though the person's not really challenging your authority, that's what it can feel like. And so you all of a sudden, I mean, you know what it feels like to be triggered. You know, when you're angry, you know that feeling in your chest, how your face gets hot. Um, and there are several triggering emotions, like there's fear, anger, um, shame. Like, so for instance, if I, um, if I say to you, Josh, hey, uh, thank you for being a great um, campus pastor, but man, we need to see, um, it needed to be, um, you know, this other result needed to happen. If I don't handle that well, then Josh is going to feel shame. And that shame can actually trigger Josh because now he's not, because what happens when we get triggered is we don't think with our best highest level brain, we go into what's called enemy mode. And now when he looks at me because he's been triggered and he hasn't gotten control of his emotions again, then he sees me as the enemy. And now it's a fight. Now he wants to win. Um, and and show that he's not somebody who should have experienced shame. Hmm. Wow, that's good. 
Okay. And, yeah, I knew you. And so I you see how that can happen in parenting, in our marriages. I mean, you felt it when you're like you've worked. I mean, this would never happen in either of your marriages. But when you think you've done something awesome as a husband, and um, your wife doesn't see it that same way, all of a sudden, all the sacrifices you made to make that thing happen, like you're angry about that. So all of a sudden, you're probably not going to say things lovingly to her. <laughs> I mean, if if you're if you've been triggered and haven't gotten your emotions back in control. So now this little problem, when you get back angry at that other person, wife, kid, boss, now is way bigger than it was when it was just a sentence. Yeah. So this goes well beyond just pastors. This is really mm -hmm. a, a mm -hmm. you know personality, a people um, in na our nature of, of being mature emotionally. Um, it goes into all levels of things. And so I think that's super helpful to acknowledge um, right up front because um, I, I truly believe many of us want to do the best we can. We, we really do have that sure. desire to change, lead out and be change makers. And we live in a culture that wants to see change, wants to do things. How do you see this idea of a leader being emotionally mature? How do you see it really helping them to lean in to maximize their influence or their leadership um, in whatever capacity it may be? The, you know, the stay-at-home mom, the, the, the working mom, the, the dad, the, the, the pastor, any of those things. How do you, how do you see an emotionally mature person, you, you know, really leaning into this going, Hey, I can, this can be used to maximize sure. my influence. So I think you have to realize you're vulnerable to being emotionally immature. This is not an age thing. I'm 59. I mean, I, you don't have enough time for me to go back over the last six months of what times that I have um, had, I guys, I made a phone call today. This, I'm not making this up. I made a phone call today to somebody who, when they asked me a question two weeks ago, um, I responded in a way that was emotionally unintelligent and the Holy spirit has not let me get over it. And I called that person today and apologized. And here's the thing. Um, I didn't yell. I, I, but I said, I said some things that I didn't say them to fix the problem. I said them so that that person would know how I felt. Um, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I wanted, it yeah. was a little bit of a, mm -hmm. it was kind of punishing him for something that what really he didn't need punished for. And so part of, part of it is to realize that, <clears throat> that your spirituality, your spirituality never outgrows this. Mm -hmm. And so you're always going to be vulnerable. You're vulnerable when you're tired, you're vulnerable when you haven't eaten well, you're vulnerable when you haven't consumed scripture and taking care of your soul. Um, if you're not Sabbathing, you're way in, you're way open to emotional, um, you know, um, immaturity. But there really are kind of three or four things that I think really do help, and these are kind of characteristics of emotionally mature leaders, and and these are things that I have syn synthesized from the book Rare Leadership, some things from Rick Marks, and some stuff from Daniel Goleman. So I don't know whose is whose, but but I'm, what I'm saying is this is not original with me, um, but. You have to you have to realize that you have two um, your brain has two hemispheres right you have a right side and a left side and um, the right side of your brain is your relational side and it works faster than the left side of your brain and so part of what happens is have you ever um, seen a person in the store or at church or somewhere and you didn't think about it but you had a visceral reaction when you saw them and you thought Oh no, not here, not now. Have you had that experience? Yes. Okay. So what I, I that means? I have, no. So, so what that means is before you could even think, 
there's a part of your brain that, that had already made a decision about that person. That's the relational side of your brain has, it didn't think it intuited previous experience with that person. And so mm -hmm. part of what we have to do at that point is we have to, what the scientists, the brain science say is remain relational, meaning we have to keep the relationship bigger than the problem. Mm -hmm. In other words, we have to realize, I gotta, I gotta love this guy. I'm gonna be in heaven with this guy. I'm married to this person. I fathered this person. So keep the relationships um, bigger than the problem. You're not trying to win. You're trying to solve a problem. Then the next thing is to act like yourself. Um, and, and by that, you're redeemed, being sanctified self. See, one of the things that, that's interesting about this is your brain works in levels. So if, if you um, don't control your emotions, the bottom two levels of your brain actually go into the fight or flight response. We call that the enemy brain. And your brain literally cannot get to the good stuff in order to act well. So you've got to have a way um, to, maybe you need to step out of the room for a minute. Maybe you need to take a, just a quick break. Maybe you didn't need to stop and pray, whatever you have to do to, um, to, to um, not let the triggering mechanism in you be in control. And then what, what they say, then what we say is return to joy. You collect yourself and then you enter the conversation again. And when it says return to joy, it's not talking about returning to happiness <clears throat> in the sense of just general happiness. What the research is showing is that true joy is in connection with other people. So this is a relational happiness. Think of Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So for the relational pleasure of being connected with the Father and saved people, Jesus suffered well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing for us. So, so whenever we are triggered, so Jesus, when he was triggered, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, that's not a brain science um, scripture passage, but behaviorally, he's doing exactly what these researchers are saying that you do when your brain doesn't feel like it. So emotional mature leaders um, return, uh, they, they remain relational. Don't let the problem get bigger than that. And that's why you don't procrastinate. That's why, that's why you got to know how to handle conflicts. You, you always act like Jesus would act in the relationship. And then, then you return back to the relational joy. Like what, you know, we were laughing at the start of this um, podcast and part of the power of that, what that means really is, is that the three of us, we have what's called relational joy. We actually enjoy each other. We like each other and we like being together. We don't have, now we happen to be buddies, but you don't have to be best buds, but, but that's really the essence of what emotional intelligence is. It's, it's being glad you're with the people that you're with. So imagine you're on a staff team where you don't have that feeling. The opportunity for you, or, or you don't have that discipline, the opportunity for you to have some emotionally immature days are very high. Wow. That, so go ahead. I know. I was just going to say, I could sit here and listen to this like top notch because it's, it's really, it's really impactful in a, in a, in a way of just thinking back. I don't know, Josh, I don't know about you, but I was, I'm just like rewinding and having images in my head of how. Yeah. This, this whole times. time, 
and yeah, I'm like, okay, way. I can see where I dropped the ball. I can see where I was triggered there. And I, <clears throat> or, you know, that thought oh, went yeah. through my head and it made me think a different way or react a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like when I watch the movie and I go, this, this is sad. I, maybe I'm going down a wrong. I watched the movie inside out by Disney for the first time. And I thought to mm-hmm. myself in that movie, I was like, they, yeah. they hit the nail on the head with how those emotions work. Mm-hmm. and bob mm-hmm. in the same way i think you're in my brain right now and you're telling me exactly how my brain is operating and working and i'm like this is fascinating because it's enlightening mm-hmm. to go that's exactly right and then mm-hmm. the biblical side of this of like you know we we're created for relationships this community your relationship piece matters so much and that was one of the first things you you mentioned here like you know yeah, keep it relational don't make the problem bigger than it I'm thinking about how, like, yeah, we. This is what we were designed to do, and this is how we designed to act. And the reason it doesn't happen that way is, again, we point it back to you know the flesh taking over and the desires of the flesh taking over. And so, well, think about this. So, so we tend to think that knowing Bible verses is what discipleship is. I would contend that a mature disciple is somebody who suffers well. Boom. And at the and at the end of the day. We read the scripture so that our heart will surrender to the scripture and the Holy Spirit so that whatever comes to us, we can bear up under it. Well, that's what James 1 says, um, enduring hardship. Um, As a matter of fact, that James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, consider it all joy so that you can be mature. You know what the implication of that is? If you don't enter into the relational joy with the Savior, you will not be mature. It'll be just awful with no outcome of maturity. Mm-hmm. So it's the so jo- our brains crave to run on joy. They crave to run on covenant love. So what? It, think about this. If we were to, um, what, it, instead of thinking of agape love, think of covenant connection. So the fruit of the spirit is love. But instead of thinking love, I think we too often go with emotion. Think of covenant connection. I don't, I don't need more relationships. I need more covenant connection with Jay. If I'm in covenant connection with Jay, then our relationship is okay. So that Jay can say to me what he needs to say when our relationship is not working. Mm-hmm. If you have a good marriage, that's what you have. You have covenant connection that says it's okay for us not to be okay because we can dialogue about how we're not okay. That's that actually produces the relational happiness that this is actually it's talking about. If I feel relational, if if, if I feel joy with you, that means I'm safe to be with you. Think mm-hmm. about times you've been on a staff and don't mention any names, but think about times you've been on a staff and you've had to sit on your emotion and push it down because it wasn't safe to say it. Mm-hmm. And um, think about how unhealthy that becomes. I mean, it actually, it can harden your heart. It cre- it can create bitterness. It can cause you to not trust the goodness of God, but it's not on God. <laughs> it's on the fact that we're not developing the skills to enter into those conversations. Now, a whole nother podcast could be, how does this relate to culture? Because right. ultimately, when it comes to self-development, I'm responsible for, for working with, um, for learning emotional intelligence for me to grow. But but if you're, I mean, Josh, you're leading a church, your responsibility is to create a culture where everybody has everybody's back. So it's yeah. okay. It's okay to be in conflict because it's not about whether you're not going to be on the team anymore. It's about how do we work together so that we re-enter 
the covenant joy that's possible because mm-hmm. of emotional intelligence. And, and this is really hitting me as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. And we need to, we need to come back to that. I think for me, I'm, I'm, I'm learning this, uh, you know, if God's a, a God of grace. And I think for me, I tend to, when I'm unhealthy, I tend to look at if it's, whether it's someone I'm working with or in my family and there's a, there's conflict. I tend to, when I'm unhealthy, uh, basically I, they're, they're now a problem. They're not, I don't see them as a person first because I want to fix the problem without knowing I, I still love them, of course, but then I turn them into a problem and then it starts to grow, right? It starts to balloon. And that's where I become on that's And really I take something that is very small yes. and I can blow it up really big. And then I look back, go, that really was just a very small misunderstanding, whether it was a meeting or a conversation or just, just I said something and and we both missed each other. And so I'm trying to grow in maturity where I don't ramp it up because I will go through it in my head. I'll play it back like a tape and I'll watch it over and over again. And I've done this as we as you have been talking today, Bob, as well as you, Jay, I've, I've thought about multiple instances in my in my in my past where I failed and I, I had to come back around and ask for forgiveness. And, you know, especially the times I, I knew I did this, there's probably times I did this and didn't even know I did it. Yeah. And, see, Josh, and, and yeah. so, yeah. And Josh, one of the things that you said, think about this, when you see people as a problem to solve instead of a person to be, have covenant connection with, mm-hmm. then what actually think about how, I mean, I've done it. So I'm confessing, I'm not projecting onto you. Um, think about how selfish that is. When I turn it into a problem, it's not about them. It's about me. Because mm-hmm. in essence, I'm trying to get them fixed so I can get them out of my out of my way. It's it's not about the restoration of the relationship. Think mm-hmm. about this. Um, you guys have probably done the love, you know, the love languages, the five love languages, just information. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the whole point of that or part of the point is that we tend to treat uh, we tend to love others the way we like to be loved. Right. Mm-hmm. What well, this brain science thing works this way. The way that I'm triggered is what I tend to think other people need for their motivation. So if, mm-hmm. tr- if fear is my trigger, then what I tend to think is that I need to be the, the head coach or the drill sergeant boss and put fear in the team so that they can get it done because that's what I need. But that's just the wrong thing. <laughs> um, you, I mean, that's why we have to lead people based on joy, because what people really need, what their brains are craving is to be in a place where they, in, they feel safe with the people that they're with and the people that they're with feel safe with them. And, um, and so if we're not careful, like, so for instance, I'm, I'm a high eye, which means I tend to procrastinate because what I, what I, because I want to do the very best I can. And, and a high eye tends to procrastinate because that energy charge you get as you get really close to the deadline actually helps me do really good work. The problem is if, if I need that charge of energy because of the fear that I may not finish, I tend to project that onto everybody else. And that really does cause a problem. Wow. That's good. I am uh, in my mind. I'm trying to just slow my mind down from going those places of like, where have I, 
I'm, I'm now self-examining every sure. leadership conversations I've ever had. Thanks a lot, Bob. <laughs> well, that's now, a sign yeah. of, that's Thank a sign you of so much. maturity. I'm now, <laughs> thanks a lot, Bob. Now I'm, now I'm questioning every conversation I've ever had with anyone. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually thinking about some of the conversations we've had and going, man, did I mess up with some of the conversations I had with Bob? You know, even that kind of concept, just because of just the way you're, you're in my brain. Like I said, the best way to describe it is when I watched the movie inside out and like, man, you hit the nail on the head of like how those emotions work and those core memories that now you're in my brain and you're trying to, you know, you're really dissecting that. And so I think anyone who's listening and going, man, this is, this is something that we should pay attention to. It's extremely important. Um, it really can make and break your, your leadership ability, your, your, your the ability for you to have influence and lead, um, in any capacity, it can make or break it. It's a, it's a, it could be a deal breaker really quickly. Let me give you one little thing that I think might help build some empathy for, for your listeners. If you think about an elevator and your brain is an elevator, the first floor, when you encounter something, the question you're asking is, is this personal to me? So when you get a thought in your head, in the relational side of your brain, the right-hand side, um, it, your brain immediately decides whether this is, is it going to affect me or not? If it does, if they do think it's going to, if their brain does think it, then it goes to the second floor, which is assessment. And it asks this question, is this good, bad, or scary? And so at that point, it's going to determine whether it's okay for me to experience this or whether I need to run to protect myself. Think about this. If Bob's afraid of dogs and I had a bad, so I've now I'm, I see a big dog. I'm a little kid. I see a big dog. And now I'm having to decide what I'm going to do. If there's a loving parent beside me or a big brother, who actually just takes my hand and says, hey, Bob, this is going to be okay. That dog looks mean, but look at its tail. It's really wagging okay. Let's go pet him. Or we or maybe it is a mean dog, but he walks me around and he stands between me and the dog. It goes to the third level of the, of the brain, which is called attunement, which actually it, it shows me that somebody's with me, that somebody understands me. And our brain archives that. So in other words, I've had a bad situation with a dog, but I had somebody who loved me. So now I have an archive I can go back to so that when I see another bad dog, I know actually what to do. Think about this. Think about the people who haven't had some of the parenting that we've had, and they didn't have a loving parent there to help them with the bad dog. Or maybe there's actually been abuse or some kind of traumatic experience in their life at that good, bad, or scary level. There's no archive. So you're expecting somebody who has no archive of good biblical covenant responsibility and love, you're expecting them to be, behave in a way that they have no way to understand because there's no archive in their brain about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that not incredibly insightful? Not, a, mm -hmm. not that I'm smart, but isn't that helpful to understand why we need to be empath empathetic with people that are far from God? Mm. That's yes. huge. I, I think it's very, very, and again, I wrote, I wrote that down because I think that's extremely important. And it, it reminds me of this week I was going back and, and Bob between, I, I'm not, I've told people, I went through a training with you, the unique uh, one day retreat. And one of the things we did during that was, if you remember, you took me on this journey um, through my childhood, really, honestly. Right. And mm -hmm. you were like, yeah. yeah, these are some people who, these were big, big wins that took place in your life. And then you connected this dot that was just, I mean, in the room, you could tell it was like this, this, this light bulb went off where you're like, and what's happening is you're trying to recreate this 
same thing for your daughter now that was created for you. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, I do. I'm uh, having goosebumps right now. Yep. Yeah, it was it was a my and I reread that this week and it prompts me going, man, this was one of the best things hmm. I had ever done. Uh, it really is. It's one of the best things I'd done. And I think it was the first one you ever did. And so thank it you is. for letting me yeah. be your guinea pig on that. But I can <clears> attest <throat> that it was it was really, really, truly a very impactful time for me as a leader. But it was exactly what you're talking about right now. It was like these core memories, these core things happened in my life. And I was trying to replicate that because I was like, I know what that's like. I know what that's to go through. I know what that's, you know, that is. And that's exactly what you're talking about here. Um, and, and, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's, this is fascinating, um, fascinating things um, that we're discussing here. So Josh, you got any follow-up questions or anything? I want to make sure I, I'm talking a lot. I feel like on this one. No, I, I love, I love you being open and transparent here on the pastor pod, Jay. So thank <laughs> oh, you. That, that's what we're all about. But I, I, I love this conversation because the emotional maturity topic or maybe genre has become so big the last 10 years or so, I think maybe, maybe longer. I don't know. Um, because I think there's been so much fallout and, um, and leaders have been stressed out. I mean, I've been through my seasons of ups and downs and trying to be healthy and mature and <laughs> how I respond and how I, how I deal with conflict and, and deal with change. So I think this is definitely one of the most important conversations that we need to have as people, not just leaders, not just pastors, but people. And I, I do agree. There's, there's probably two to three, maybe four podcast episodes coming out of this one that we need to, we need to tackle. Yeah. But I think, I think the first step for me is learning to be aware of my, of, of my unhealthy patterns. And, 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 and like you said, Bob, those questions I'm asking myself, is this personal? Is this good, bad, or scary? Or, or is this, uh, is this a, is this a, a trigger from my childhood? Is this a trigger of insecurity, right? That came from this moment. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about a moment when I was about nine years old. Um, I'm a big basketball guy, if you don't know this about me, but uh, I'd play on new codes. He, he planned tryouts and basically told us that, hey, listen, um, if you hear from me, you made the team, right? Or no, if you don't hear from me, you made the team is what I heard. Um, that's not what he said. Of course, you know, I was like nine, 10 years old, right? Hearing the coach and yeah. I'd already made the team. And, you know, I, I've always been really intense and competitive person. I just, the way I'm wired. And uh, so I, I went back to the first practice the next week. And I still remember this moment. Like it, it, it literally stuck with me. I walk back in the gym. I see all my buddies. I think I was like close to 10 years old. And we'd already, we had, the year before, we'd almost won the championship. You know, I played a lot. We all played a lot. Anyway, I walk in and all the kids are like high-fiving me, saying what's up. And the coach, this new coach, who I guess didn't, obviously didn't want me on the team, walks up to me in front of the entire team. He said, Robinson. I said, yes, sir. He goes, what are you doing here? And the whole team, like, you know, like in a movie, everybody went, you know, all the heads just stopped. Everybody stopped talking. Everybody stopped talking. He goes, uh, you didn't make the team. What are you doing here? Wow. And I remember that moment, man. I, my mom was standing there. Of course, my mom didn't know anything about, you know, how I misheard it or whatever. And I, I got back in that old box van we had, the Mitsubishi. I remember that Mitsubishi box van that was non-aerodynamic. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're driving back. 
I, I lived in Southern Louisiana at the time in this little town. And my dad was a pastor there. And I remember just like the whole, the whole drive home, just, just, just crying, you know, like yeah. a baby. Yeah. And um, I will tell you that fueled the rest of my, my childhood. Like I, I will say I walked on in college. I mean, I, 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 regardless of how well I did in basketball, I never played the same. And I, yeah, you could write a story. Oh, you, you learned how to play competitive and you were more passionate and you were like, you know, Michael Jordan is brother beat him all the time. And that, yeah. yeah, I get all that. But what it did is it, it was kind of one of those moments where I, I do think that performance mm -hmm. became what I focused on. And, and so God has been really unraveling. That, that's like a small story, really, when you think about my life. But at the same time, that was a moment where I was completely like I failed and, uh, and I didn't want to feel that way anymore. So I, I do think from a very, in a very real way, I've carried some of that with me through my ministry and through my life that I don't want to fail. Yeah. I don't want to be viewed as a loser. I want to win. I want everything to up to up and to the right. And so I'm going to put it all in the field, all in the court. I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to work long hours. I'm going to work harder than anybody else. And yes, work ethic is good. Honoring God with our, with our lives is good. But at the end of the day, um, I think one of the reasons I've been immature in my, in my emotional health is because I've based my identity and my worth on my performance and not my position as a child of God. So I think that's something that this has brought out today. <laughs> so be real transparent so, with you. So Genesis 50, 20, right? Jo Joseph comes to the end of his life and now he has 2020 vision about everything that happens. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good for the saving of many. I think we all have a Genesis 50, 20 moment. And the great news about this, about, about any time that you just, you're more self-aware, God can redeem it. I mean, what a, what an awful story. What a terrible thing for a coach to do to a, whatever age kids you, whatever kid, you know, whatever that is, what a, it'd be traumatic for anyone. The good news is, um, even though if, even if you took it as a negative emotion for a while, um, you never know, we never know when God's going to redeem a thing. And, and so I'm 59 and God's doing his deepest discipling work in my life now. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it's not like you, uh, it's not like you arrive. And I think one of the things that I, that's super important is to remember that we're human beings. I think I, I want to be careful when I say this. But I think pastors over spiritualize, and, and I think I, I think there are some. I think you're a human being, and I think emotions have to be dealt with. They have to be felt, and I think you have to process them. And I think, uh, uh, it, I mean, if not, then you're not being a human being. <laughs> and so, um, don't be ashamed of them. Process them. Ask what they mean. And um, so, anyway, I just. Um, that's a great story. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an awful story, but it's, it, it actually makes the point that you're talking about today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing, Josh. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. Jo uh, Bob, I think I'd be reluctant to say, you know, this is going to spark, this could potentially, you know, depending on who listens, could spark some very, very um, uh, high interest in mm -hmm. learning more about their emotions and the, how their emotions play out in leadership and things of that sort. So, I'm going to go to you and go, could you, do you have any off the top of your head where you can point people resource wise yeah. and say, you know, these are some things you could check out, whether it be, you know, blogs, books, 
whatever it may be, where would you point somebody to say, Hey, I want to learn more about this and, and tackle this a little bit more. What would you, where would you point them to? So if you're kind of an academic person and you can, um, and you want the real science of it, I mean, I would, I would point to Daniel Goleman's work. Um, you know, just look up Daniel Goleman. You'll see there's a, there's like textbooks, but also some popular versions. If you want the Christian, I mean, the real, um, distilled, um, that's not the right way to say. If, if you want a more a purely Christian perspective on it, um, the, the book Rare Leadership and the other half of church um, deal with both of, uh, deal with these there. Um, what's funny is I posted that I read that about six months ago, and it's been the most, I mean, more people have read that based on that, but then they call me or text me or direct message me and say, what about all this brain science? Well, here's the funny thing about that to me. I started off as a biology major. When you read the brain science of this, I don't have enough faith to be an evolutionist. When you look at the, the I could cry right now, the design in your brain and how that Romans 12, one and two about renewing our mind and our heart. It's not about the chest. It's about, it's about how we think. It's about where our worldview is stored. Um, that God's biology, God designed you to be discipled. He designed you to be somebody who could archive things and to walk with other people so you can pour into their archive. I'm sorry. So rare leadership and the other half of church would be um, would be two that are within everybody's um, reach. And if you're not a reader, um, I would suggest the audiobooks. The audiobooks are 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 good. There's a website called Deeper Life. Uh, I, I can't remember if it's .org or .com, but it's Deeper Life, and you'll see there's some of those resources there. You can actually get videos from the people who wrote the book. Um, this, that's not super expensive. They're in the 29 to $49 range. Um, and then, uh, so those are, th those would be the resources that I'd recommend. And I think that's, that's a great. great place to start. We'll do our best to get those documented somewhere and you can grab those in the show notes on the podcast here or, um, you can feel free to email us, uh, the pastorpod at gmail.com. We'll get you those uh, those notes. And if we mess them up or something along those lines, we'll get you in contact with Bob. Um, and Bob, uh, yeah, this has been good stuff. Any final thoughts, uh, Josh, uh, as we kind of maybe land a little bit here on this conversation? No, I appreciate the, the genuineness of you, Bob, and just your investment in my life. I know Jay as well. And of course, if you know Bob, you know that already. And um, I, I think one thing that you've modeled well that I'm trying to learn is um, always fight for the relationship um, and always be willing to have those conversations to win that relationship and find unity. You know, one thing I'm trying to, to encourage our team here is uh, we don't talk about each other. We talk uh, to each other and oh, with each other. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I don't think that was for original with me, but it's what, wherever I heard it, it stuck with me Super helpful, because we're going to yeah. fight for unity. And, you know, with our elders, our leadership, you know, we talk a lot about that, that we, we don't want to let enemy place a, a bitter root in our church and our, and our leadership in our families, our marriages. And uh, just, I think at the very end of, end of the day, I think emotionally healthy people are humble people. And uh, so I think, I think that's really what Jesus modeled so well. I think we might have gone too long, but I do want to say this. You guys can edit this out. So if somebody wants to become a generous person, you don't wait to get rich and then be generous, right? Generosity comes by giving from what you currently have. Um, when, it comes to, when it comes to this, one of the counterintuitive things about this is unity on a team comes 
when you handle conflict well. It doesn't, it's not always prevented. The deepest, the deepest learning about safety on your team is when there's something unsafe happening and you create safety. So it's not a failure for there to be conflict on your team. What you need to do in that moment is to look at everybody as people and not problems and create a safe, a safe space. Then it archives for them so that they can go back and draw on the fact, hey, I've, I, can, I can really trust these guys. So think about if you've done that 10 times. Yeah. I'm convinced that some of the moral failures we have is not because the people were so evil. It's because the space was so unsafe. There was no archive to go back to that, that they felt alone. Mark Driscoll didn't wake up planning to have whatever the problems were that he had. But there was there was something that made it so he couldn't go back to the archive and create a safe space for his for his team. Okay, I, I'm not going to tackle that because that's a whole. You can get me all weird. I could go on for days about that. But the, the reality is, you're you're absolutely right. And I think as you're looking at that level, you know, the elevator, the level one, two, three, mm-hmm. the goal is to get into level three where they can acknowledge and see that yeah. that modeled for them. And mm-hmm. I think what you're acknowledging here is that we haven't done a good job. Um, and I say we collectively maybe haven't done a good job specifically, and you're talking on your church staffs of yeah. creating that safe place, that environment where it's 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 okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. Yeah, um, and so it's okay to not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. So we want to work with you through that process, and 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 not really you know target our own, come alongside of and create a space where you know it's there's a place for everybody to grow. We're all learning, and I think that starts with leaders acknowledging that they're not okay and they 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 also need to learn at times so and the executive pastor in me wants to say this as my final words this doesn't mean nobody will ever be fired on your staff (laughs) i mean they're still incompetence i mean but but it's not the first result i mean it's when you've created the safe space if somebody still can't do the job if they still can't then then okay you've treated them well and as somebody who's had to let several people go i can tell you this i've had people call me and thank me later for helping them transition, even though it was awful for me and awful for them, but God was in it. And that's what's so weird. It's hard to see God in it. But I know people have an amazing futures now that they were not having amazing futures or amazing presence, but they had to go through that. So, um, so anyway. Well, thank you for saying that because I think every leader and especially executive pastors right now are going, whew, okay, I can still fire people if yeah. I needed to. <laughs> right. You're giving me the freedom. Like at first they're like, wait a minute, wait, this means I can't fire anybody. What yeah. in the world am I gonna do? Yeah. So thank sure. you for saying that. You that freedom to go, hey, sometimes yeah. that still is the case, but yeah. the way you go about doing it is, yes. is super important. Yes. So yeah. great conversation today. Thanks so much again, Bob, for being here for episode 50. Yeah. You have you have really marked us from day one. You were, I believe, our first guest on the podcast. And here you are um, uh, at episode 50 of many, many, many more to come. And so thanks for having that. Thanks for dropping some great knowledge on us today. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, The email is thepastorpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook, all of those social media uh, places. You can reach out to us there as well. Thank you for uh, listening in to this important conversation. Have a great weekend. Hope to see you back next week.